This is the Picard Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 8, Mercy. podcast on tv podcast industries we're on episode eight of season two of picard and it is mercy i am one of your hosts john and i'm your other host derek welcome back oh such a better episode this week yes definitely <laughs> definitely i know you didn't join us last week uh, for the episode it was just myself and chris there uh, last week and as our listeners to uh, moon knight know chris is off on holidays at the moment so um you're back this week for this episode but i know you had a similar feeling about uh, episode seven as we had yeah, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe they were diverging to the FBI uh-huh. here and kind of a, another sort of side quest. Um, yeah. And I, I just felt that that they needed to be getting to, to the end because I would like to see them back in their current time mm-hmm. for Picard. And I guess we may just get one episode. Yeah. I mean, even with this episode really enjoys it yeah but the the purpose of what happened with the fbi agent a great little story i actually really enjoyed it but in the wider scheme of things you know what did it add or could it have been used instead of something else so i just feel they've done too many branches of Mm -hmm. it in this season so far and and not really focused on just the central premise yeah. um, and I, I think they've just they've just wallowed a bit too long in 2024 to be honest yeah. um, and I just don't think we're getting the characters um sort of fully realized like Talon even Guinan I mean mm-hmm. but I, I think that this episode brought that element for Guinan it did. for yeah. sure it but did. It's like they had to do it, and maybe that was the reason for it. But, yeah, I I just feel they've had too many branches that have distracted them from the main thrust of what this season should be. And that's okay, but it does feel like they're focusing on the wrong things. It's okay to have branches as long as they serve the story or make it exciting. But we will talk about it in our spoiler-filled discussion about Episode 8. We hope you've watched the episode. Uh, Only two more to go after this one. Yes, absolutely. Um, we are counting down to the end mm-hmm. of Star Trek Picard Season 2. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed, you can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe on any Federation or Romulan supporting podcast player of your choice. You can also send your thoughts, comments, or theories uh, by email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And of course, we put up our spoiler comment post over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries. 
But let us crack on with episode eight, Mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode was written by Cindy Apple and Kristen Bear. Um, Cindy Apple's written a couple of episodes this season so far, and Kristen Bear is one of the executive producers of, of yes. Picard and the creators of this series uh, right back from the start of season one. I remember at the premiere, um, she was there and was introduced effectively by all the rest of the executive producers as the book of knowledge of Star Trek. She knows everything about every single series. <laughs> so uh, so she's the one that, te- that adds on all of the um, lore of Star Trek into uh, into the episodes of the show, even if she doesn't get a writing credit. That's that's her central function, which I always thought was quite interesting. Uh, yeah, excellent. Excellent. And the episode was directed by Joe Menendez, who directed uh, the last episode, episode seven as well. Yes, so a, a a step up for him, I guess, in, yes. in terms of what he produced here. But I guess that's also down to the, the writing as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, speaking you know, of which, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Star Trek Picard, episode eight of season two, Mercy? Sure. Under arrest, Agent Wells tries to make Picard and Guinan confess to being aliens. But with time running out before the launch of the Europa mission, Picard and Guinan must try to escape from the FBI, but are separated from each other by Agent Wells. As Picard continues to be interviewed by the agent in another room, Guinan's Q call finally takes effect as she is visited by Q, who explains that he is dying and that this trial is a final attempt to give his own life meaning. Something Q says resonates with Guinan about Agent Wells, and she projects her corporal form to share this message with Picard that humans are all stuck in the past. Using Guinan's message, Picard probes the reasons for their arrest by Wells, who reveals that he encountered aliens when he was a child and thought they wanted to kill him. But Picard explains that these were Vulcans who only tried to erase the memories of their meeting, and while he himself is human, he is from another time in the distant future. After reporting his lack of success to the FBI, Wells is fired and releases Picard and Guinan back to the world. Meanwhile, Raffi and Seven of Nine come face to face with Jurati and the horror of what she's become. After tracking the Borg Queen, they discover she is collecting car and phone batteries to modify Jurati's body and make it capable of assimilating other humans. She attacks them, but a glimmer of Agnes is able to force her to stop and leave before she causes Raffi and Seven more harm. Elsewhere, after learning about her true nature, Corey leaves her father with help from Q. As Dr. Adam Song wallows in his splintered family and disintegrated reputation, he is given a fresh opportunity at greatness from the Borg Queen. She persuades Soong that he can save his legacy by helping her steal La Serena, thereby enabling her to conquer the galaxy. Soon provides her with a squad of mercenaries, but is taken aback as the Borg Queen begins to convert them into Borg drones. Ooh, the first Borg drones in the universe, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess first adopters um, in in that technology. Not necessarily willing, but certainly... <laughs> the uh, early adopters. Early adopters, <laughs> Lots of good things to talk about this episode. Lots of interesting things to talk about this episode. Will we get into our small moment for the episode? Yes, let us get into our general order. Make it so, number one. John, do you want to kick off with your general order? Yeah, mine is small, but I think it has um, significant implications for Mm. the Star Trek universe. And and maybe I've got it wrong, I don't know. But it's ultimately that the young Wells, this boy running through the woods looking for his lost dog... Um, and he meets 
Vulcans. It yes. is effectively a first contact, a little earlier than we have seen previously. Like 40 years. Um, yeah. And also a little bit more by accident mm. than, you know, we had previously thought. I think this is really interesting. It actually makes Wells a really interesting character. And mm. I think it's it's one of the issues with this episode where I actually really liked his story. Yep. Um, I liked everything that went on. I thought it really added loads of layers. But I guess we're not going to see Wells again, certainly not in this season of Picard. I'd agree. And, yeah. and yeah. I think that's a shame because I think this story um, has a big bang moment of where there is first contact. And I, I would really hope that another Star Trek property can pick this up or maybe it's it's relating to something that's already been mentioned in say discovery or something you know like even if it's just a name drop but mm. this is really important implications because yes they did try to mind meld and, and erase their meeting mm-hmm. so that there was effectively no first contact here mm-hmm. but it failed and he knew and he's effectively dedicated his life to finding traces of aliens again exactly and of course the 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 transport of picard from la serena into downtown la Mm -hmm. is what has kicked this this off and so that's my small point but i think with huge implications for the star trek universe that we have first contact a little bit earlier and more accidental than the main one that we know about with Zephyrin Cochran mm-hmm. uh, and the the warp drive. Yeah, but it certainly links into that in that they're monitoring exactly humans to see whether they have that technology and the capability uh, so that they would make first contact. Yeah, at least formally. I guess this I- is informal first contact. Well, that's the thing. The implication here is that it's not first contact, it's that potentially the Vulcans have been here quite a while and have done mind melds to wipe any memory of anybody that does yes. meet them. But they're pulled out too quickly here. They're they're transported out too quickly and Wells is left with the memory and doesn't know what's going on. Of course you wouldn't when you see an alien species coming up to you, touching your forehead and feel the impact of their hand on you at, a, you know, at, at that age he's thinking that they were trying to crush his head effectively <laughs> that they were trying to kill him but you're right it is an in, it is an interesting story the resolution of it in an episode like this just happening in one episode if it had been spread over a few episodes the story would have been an interesting story here it feels like a diversion that wasn't needed because the starting point and ending point is Gaiman and Picard are in the bar um talking to each other about what's happening with Q and then they meet up with Rafi and, and um, Seven and go back to La Serena. So they were basically taken out of the bar, had the story, learn about this guy's history, go back to the bar and there is no implication that we'll see him again ever. No. So I don't know why it was here, but I did like the story. It's like as if Me back too. in uh, Star Trek Next Generation, it's like as if you've had a 24 episode season, you do an episode like this where you learn the history of a human who's been impacted by aliens and they resolve it for him. And but they do resolve it in a nice way. The idea that he's now no longer scared of the idea of aliens out there. Exactly. Um, and the resolution with Guinan, where she tells him, my race believes that you're in the right place in the right time for your actual purpose. Yes. This was your purpose, so you haven't wasted your life kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, so I would think it would be really nice if this Wells character is just banked by some future writer of, mm. of Star Trek, because I thought it was a really good little story. I think the issue I have is just, 
again, it felt like a, a, a side path yeah. that sort of came back to the main storyline. And whilst nice, just didn't add anything. And I think if, yes, if they had, it just feels like they're doing episodes within episodes. Mm. And if they had just sort of structured it um, and, and peppered it through mm-hmm. um, the previous episodes, it would have just felt more meaningful and wouldn't have felt uh, diversionary in yeah. a sense. Um, yeah. I, I think I made a comment last week that uh, uh, the the reason why the season feels so weird is because it was filmed right at the height of the pandemic, right at the height of the COVID yeah. restrictions. So it feels like this is another excuse to have just a few people in a room talking to each other as opposed to a wider story with mm. wider implications. So it feels like they may have needed to add in a few of those. That's why the that's why we're getting those in these episodes. We're not having a confrontation between two armies on a in a big room. We're having two characters with another exactly. character. Exactly. And and it's the difference of having the actor who plays Agent Wells mm. being on set for one day yeah. as opposed to throughout the full production. Yeah. Say, yeah. Potentially. Yeah. And yeah. and multiple contacts. Exactly. Uh, you know, in terms of reducing the risk of COVID. But anyway, yeah. that that's uh, that's my general order. And I will say, I was I did spend about half an hour googling afterwards to find out if there's another Wells in the Star Trek universe that I'm not aware of. Does he does he become really important? And you're right. Hopefully, they'll pick that up in the future. Um, for my general order, one the one thing I wanted to come back to was something that I mentioned last week. Uh, I'd mentioned that the moment with Jurati as the Borg Queen when she goes to pump up her adrenaline by smashing a window in a bar that she'd gone into. I, I was wondering, that seemed like a really weird thing. I thought that she was going to the bar to maybe start a bar fight or maybe pick up someone to take them home. And we find out in this episode, actually, that was what she was doing. It just all happened off screen. She picks up the uh, very big uh, red hair guy from the bar, takes him off to um, to an alleyway. And it's described very sensitively by yeah. Seven um, that when she didn't get that connect, that one-on-one connection that she was searching for, that she takes it out on him and kills him. So they did do what I thought they were going to do. It was just all off screen, and they left all the, the all they left on screen was her standing in front of the window and smashing it. So, um, so I just wanted to reference that's my little uh, pickup from last week. Yeah, and it it basically a failed assimilation, really. Um, well, a, fail, a failed attempt to get back to the connection that she has yes. as part of the Borg Collective. Yeah. And she wasn't trying to assimilate him then. She realizes that she can't have that one-on-one connection from having sex with them, is what it sounded like to me from Seven. And now she will go off and try and replicate the okay. collective. I, I thought it was also a failed assimilation, and hence why um, the Borg Queen's like, well, I need more battery acid in my life, and goes <laughs> off to get the the battery, uh-huh. the well, the 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 stabilizing lithium, yes, and um, so that she can assimilate that she she's not quite there yet, and um, so I, I thought there was a bit of that in that scene mm-hmm. as much as possibly because otherwise it was sex by a dumpster, which I guess is a thing. It's a thing, but yeah. um, yeah, and maybe the Borg Queen's not that fussy about where. Um, she tries that. So I, I thought possibly a, maybe a bit of both, uh, yeah. um, to yeah. be honest. But just wanted to kind of circle back to it after my comments on last week. <laughs> that's my that's my small point. Excellent. Uh, let us get into our Omega Directive. Mm-hmm. Implement the Omega Directive immediately. Derek, what is your medium moment of the episode? My medium moment for the episode is Q and Guinan um, connecting. So we officially find here that they haven't met before. Um, 
Q knows who Guinan is. He's uh, He knows her from the future, but he knows that this Guinan he hasn't met before. So I thought that was a little bit interesting, given last week we had that whole idea that the Elorian race um, had had a battle with the Q continuum for a long time, um, had stopped it, and now we're, had settled their differences and had the ability to call the Q, which is what Guinan was saying. But Guinan herself hasn't had a meeting with Q, um, which I thought was interesting because in the past, we know that she has had incidents with Q that have never been explored or explained within the next generation or within uh, any of the parents of of this character. So I thought that was interesting, but I have to say John Delancey played a great game here. He was absolutely fabulous in this moment when he's explaining what's going on. And she's reading that what's happened with him is that he's dying, that is his version of dying. He's coming towards the end of his originally supposedly eternal life. What I like about it is there's still the kind of edge to it. It's not that he's dying immediately. It's that he knows he's finite, which he never knew before. He knows that he yeah. has only one lifetime. Well, he, he says he has, he can see the, the darkness on the horizon mm. or something to that effect. So it, it's a gradual kind of wasting away almost. And mm-hmm. I like how he references that in that he says, even dying stars have a bigger impact and bang when they finally go. You know, he feels as though he's just kind of whimpering out slowly and um, at with no real meaning. Exactly, exactly. Because the Q character all along has been playing with the galaxy as if it's his toy. Um, and he is now at that point where he feels, um, how do I add meaning to my life now that it's coming to an end? How do I add legacy? How do I add meaning to uh, to what I've left within this world he kind of says i initially thought it was i'm standing on the threshold of the unknowable yeah and now it's frustrating to me because i don't know what's going to happen after that and i haven't left any legacy behind me um i like the argument between uh q and and guinan when she's pushing him as to why he did what he did and she's accusing him of pushing um picard back to 2024 in time and he's saying well that's not what i did i showed picard the future and picard's the one that chose to go back in time what matters here is how he leaves this how he decides to get out of this situation that's going to be what will leave the lasting impact yeah effectively so i like that he's saying i set up the chess pieces but picard's playing the game yeah i think to me this whole scene was was fabulous i loved Mm -hmm. it It was one of my favorite from this episode i think you're right you know john delancey he has the melancholy in the it's the anger that of of the weight and it is that translated to the acerbic kind of nature that Mm. he sees in Guinan, you know, when he's clicking his fingers, he says, just to let you know, I'm imagining you drowning here or my hands around your throat. And um, it, you know, he, he kind of runs through all of it through this quite, you know, quite high level, quite philosophical mm. notion, you know, of moving from when I realized it was happening, I was excited. It was something new, exactly. something to look forward to because after all, I'm eternal. So this is, a change mm-hmm. which you don't get very often uh, as an eternal being and then as you say it's the weight and it's like i'm realizing what have i left behind but also okay i i'm moving to this point but i've i'm having no impact like other things as mm-hmm. they die um and yeah. so he there's this as Guinan takes it's like this this trial this this test is 
to give meaning to his life yeah. uh, and that you know he set the trial but it is for uh, Picard to um, figure it out ultimately so I, I really really enjoyed this I, I loved um, I loved the fact actually that there was such a delay between this summoning ritual that was done in the bar <laughs> to him to Q finally arriving really yeah, it was like he um, had to go and get the bus since he doesn't have his powers <laughs> exactly <laughs> and um, you know it you know he confirms that he's dying but also that you know this is a ritual um mm-hmm. it's not some kind of t- you know he tries to fob it off uh, this delay by saying well it's a ritual it's it's not a telephone call exactly. uh, where i just pop up but yeah. he would have just popped up in the past you know without yeah. his powers yeah he's had to get a bus yeah. change at the ra- <laughs> at the at the bus stop get the rail yeah. then get a taxi from the train station and he gets here and goes there. what is it that you want to see? yeah <laughs> yeah no, I, I really like the scene and again i suppose the one thing that this side of the storyline we mentioned you know that that there's not much that comes from the fbi side of the storyline but at least this meeting between Guinan and um and q gives Guinan more of an understanding of uh, of picard and more of an understanding of um why she likes humans effectively what it is about the human race that she likes yeah so by them having an adventure together before they meet you know we we know them as old friends who who have a great relationship and a great history together so it does set that up a bit better than we've seen throughout this season Guinan's been very resistant yeah, to dealing and, with and picard so at least she has that exactly. relationship now. and when they you know when they part ways it's i can't wait to meet you uh, in the future exactly you know yeah. so uh, that's uh, that was a nice little sign-off moment as well yeah for yeah. sure yeah uh, john what's your media moment uh, my medium moment is raffian seven searching for jurati and the Borg queen mm. uh, you know we have the fight in the parking lot as jurati's kind of got battery acid dripping down her chin mm-hmm. you know trying to get her um lithium metals into her so she can do a bit of assimilation yeah uh, not really working we have that battle or, or fight i should say uh you know the the interesting thing here is that you know the Borg queen now despite being helpful it was a means to an end and she sees them as the enemy she mm, takes out seven does, yeah. quite quickly with a knock to a dumpster yeah. and has raffi sort of ready to kill her uh-huh. um and the great thing here is we do at least get the the nod that there is a glimmer and there is agnes still in there yes. and which saves raffi yeah and i i loved um i loved all this i loved Raffi and Seven and their whole kind of conversations yeah. um as they track the Borg Queen. We we have Raffi, you know, there's still there's still a little bit of edge between the two of them. Yes. They're still snapping at one another. You know, Raffi um I, I love she says you need to go analogue. What would she do just yes. out of your experience? You know, because Seven is no longer connected in with the Borg, with the the transplants there. So I I like that going sort of analog to to find her. Yeah, and but I feel like we should be calling her Annika now. I feel like the yeah. show is trying to tell us to stop calling her Seven because she's no longer that. Ex- she doesn't no longer has that experience. Um, she's really pushing Raffi about that. You know what? What am I? Am I to you? Am I just a tool that was formerly a Borg, or I am? Am I this? Annika, um, yeah. this the person that I that I was before. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, challenging conversation between the two of them, where Raffi's kind of kind of all on mission, um, forcing uh, 
Seven to confront her past effectively, even though she no longer has the implants. It must be kind of frustrating for her. You know, she's a, a really capable fighter and all it takes is one hit from the board queen and she's yeah. almost knocked on the floor, almost knocked out on the floor at least. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think yeah. the other thing as well is just before then is, you know, Seven calls Rafi manipulative. Oh, yes. Um, and I like how that plays out because it gives us some understanding now of Rafi's um response to Elna, not just in the sense of that he's died and mm. that grief and that loss, but also her absolute drive to try and see if she can bring him back through getting back to um their timeline. Yes. And her seeing Elna pop up and her getting kind of the, those visions of him. And I, I really enjoyed that just little flashback um, oh, where yes, really. Rafi says and effectively, you know, confesses, say, well, I am manipulative because she gets Elna to stay at, and complete his training with Starfleet, which we saw earlier on in, in the series where he mm-hmm. is graduating. Um, but in the moment that we see, he is talking of going back to Vashti yeah. and to the Kuat Malat yeah. um, and to go back to there. That, you know, being a security officer, maybe he doesn't really want to do. And he's only really talking about delaying it possibly for a year. Mm. But Rafi has this connection with him and wants him to stay. I guess he's seeing him like a, a, a brother, a younger brother. Oh, and, so and, she's seeing him as a son. But ultimately, then it's. You know, he stayed and he died. And yeah. so there is, you know, that's the thing. And I just like that moment here. I think yeah. it really added to Rafi. And I, I liked how it was connecting, you know, with her ex, with, with Seven, mm-hmm. sort of stimulating that. And um, I think this is the point around the different, or maybe too many branches, is that I feel that could have come earlier. Um, I feel as though it could have come earlier, Maybe. and I feel, you know, a bit like with Gein and, and Picard here, it it feels possibly that um, it's it's quite late. I, I, I still love it. I don't mind it. But, you know, I, I'm wondering, like, how is with, with, with Picard's mother playing out? Or have we seen the last of that yeah. with the maze down in uh, the bowels of Chateau Picard? So, I hope not. I hope they're going to return to that because they did put a pin on it last week and said that story's not over. We'll come back uh, well, to it. Exactly. Talon isn't so, here in this episode. This just felt like it was putting us off the rails of that with the FBI yeah. side of it. This story with Raphael and, and Elner and, and, uh, and Seven, I think it's coming exactly the right time for okay. me in this, in this storyline because we've had the kind of the couple element of Seven and and Rafi, why they broke up, why they were separated, and now we're getting the other side of it. Why is Rafi the way she is? Why is she so manipulative? And I'm not saying anything about my mom. My mom loves me to bits, but I've definitely had those con- kind of conversations with her <laughs> where I walk away going, did she just manipulate me into doing exactly what she wanted me to do? Because <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like. I love that the final line that uh, Rafi says to Elner is, but it's your life. You make the choices. Yeah. <laughs> but I've told you exactly what I want you to do. No, exactly. <laughs> really good. Really good. Uh, really good scene. Um, but yes, kind of a, a a big 
turning point for Girati uh, and the Borg Queen. Borg Queen pretty much in control, but Raffi, but but um, Girati can stop her from killing uh, Rafi in this scene. She has, yes. can hold her back with a bit of force. So that, of course, is how we're going to play out the season. Girati's still in there. Um, she's still compassionate. She's still the one that shows mercy. That's the title of the episode. Um, so we're, it's not all bad. There is still Girati in the background of the Borg Queen. Yes, and... Seven says mercy is definitely not a bug quality. Yes. Um, so, yeah, really good. But I think this segues me onto my uh, prime directive. We must face the ramifications of the prime directive. As Picard says, what's your prime directive, John? So my big moment here is that after this encounter between Seven, Raffi and Jurati slash the Borg Queen, um, they know where she's going. Uh, the Borg Queen, and hmm. she's off to Dr. Soong's. It took me a second to kind of piece that together. So they, they got the phone started back up, and effectively she'd Google map the address to Dr. Soong's yes. in the phone. Was basically because the he has the, he has access to what the Borg Queen needs hmm. in terms of these stabilizing metals yeah. uh, in order to be able to start to form connections mm-hmm. and, and assimilate and uh, I, I just kind of really enjoyed this because it, it's coming off the back of Corey finding out about um, being an experiment mm-hmm. and being given the, the freedom cure, shall we say, by Q uh, and leaving Dr. Soong. And here, you know, we have Dr. Soong at his lowest ebb. He's drinking a bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. uh, as Jurati, um is at the top of the stairs. He says, am I dreaming or is this a nightmare? And I love that she says, ultimately, that's up to you. Yes. Um, and has this fork in, in the road where you can lose your legacy because with the Europa mission, uh, what we're beginning to piece together here is that what Rene Picard discovers out in space on that mission mm. is something that effectively renders Soong's work obsolete or, or crackpot. And, of course, in the Federation timeline, he is really kind of on the margins of science. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas with the... The, if the other route in, in that fork is that you can retain your legacy where you become the godfather to the world, mm-hmm. and which we see with the Confederation, with the statues yes, we do. Uh, to him. Yeah. Uh, because with the climate meltdown, he's able to save the world. And Rennie doesn't, with the Europa mission being cancelled, doesn't find this organism Mm -hmm. that that effectively moves him to the sidelines so i really like you know this this choice here yeah and of course um you know as soon as as soon as the poor queen says you become godfather to the world you see his eyes light up that this is what he Mm. has always wanted and it kind of mirrors Corey's conversation about when i walk out that door what will you lose is it your work that yep. you love or is it your daughter mm-hmm. and of course it is all about his work ultimately yeah uh, you can see that and um, well that's it absolutely so, and, I, and it, that was actually my my main point for the episode was about Corey and, and uh, dr sung um because it's a real harsh moment between the two. Corey is growing up thinking that she is his daughter. Yeah. This is the moment that she's found out that she's not and that, that um he thinks of her as his work. Um I like how Q inserts himself in between the two of them. Q had promised the cure for Corey to Dr. Sung, which would have completed his work and made him into the 
um, the creator of, of the future, effectively. But actually, he provides it to Corey, curing her, and doesn't solve the the leap in technology that yeah. uh, Dr. Sung needs. So the confrontation between the two of them where Corey's saying, you know, is the is it the family that you'll lose or is the work that you'll lose? And he says, you wouldn't even exist without me. I like Corey turns that and goes, no, you don't exist without me. Yeah. And that's that's why he's in such the such of the doldrums, I suppose, when the Borg Queen comes and find him, because not only has he lost his life's work, he has no way to replicate it. He has nothing left to to do anymore and it's just walked out the door effectively so yeah. will we see Corey back in the season there's only two episodes left in the season it feels like you sh- we should have her come back at some point to confront the board queen and dr sung but maybe that's it maybe that's her story played out and she's off out into the world yeah i mean at, at this stage there's so many different threads with only yeah. two episodes to go in in some ways whilst it's a shame i'm hoping not and um, because i just think it might dilute these last two episodes yeah. and i like i like that the rug has been pulled out from from dr sung and that's why he's going to go yeah. along with the board queen's plan he seems quite evil by the end of the episode he seems like he's gone down that dark path towards the end of the episode he, he, and if it he, plays out the way it played out in what we've seen of the future that's what it was what was going around my head when the board queen is saying you know they'll erect statues to you well they will erect statues to you but in that timeline the entire race of the Borg have been hunted yeah. down, killed, and she's the only one left of them. So whatever she's promising Sung, there's another plan here that she's Definitely. trying to get to play out. So it won't play out the way that we've seen it no. if it goes to plan. She she absolutely cannot be trusted. Yeah. Um, it, it really is um, that Sung will ultimately... Um, not end off well here because you're right what she's promising him will lead to ultimately the destruction of the of her race yeah. although she has a head start yeah. if she goes along with her plan yeah. but why not even consolidate that further by taking out the person that ultimately is the godfather and savior of humanity okay. that leads to them controlling the galaxy effectively mm-hmm. being the eminent power in in the galaxy so definitely uh this is all carrot waving from uh the Borg queen yes i also do feel that when she when the Borg queen actually does assimilate one of the mercenaries there seems to be a little bit of buyer's remorse as to what he's actually gotten himself into as she converts one of them and he's Very in true. the background he's like okay what, what is that and <laughs> um, so yeah because he is looking quite as i say villainous there where he's dressed all in black and he's yeah. got the mercenaries for her. he's he understands that she wants an army and he's brought it to her and then yes she does the assimilation and he's kind of going oh hang yeah. on <laughs> i mean to use the raffi phrase to, you know borgifying the uh ex-special forces yes and um, so i think uh yeah i, I felt the look on his face was one of, uh-oh, what is this? You know, am I in too deep? Mm. So uh, I think, you know, potentially here, um, Dr. Soon may flip as well against the Borg Queen. I think the yep. two of them aren't necessarily uh, comfortable bedfellows here. Yes. Certainly not with the Borg Queen. I think Dr. Soon probably, yes, he was all in, chips all in, because yep. Yep, I'm going to be the greatest. It, yep. it restores me. And then after seeing... The Borgification, then, yeah, maybe not so. What do the rest of the mercenaries do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have ran. Absolutely. But I, I guess... She could probably chuck them all up and get them all. Um, but 
But they may also think it's just simply military testing. Maybe. I mean, who knows? They're all yeah, all ex-military, yeah. uh, all ex-special forces, and uh, maybe they will just go along with the orders. But I, I would freak out completely and run. Yeah, me too. <laughs> then again, I'm I'm as far away from ex-special forces as you can probably get. Oh, no, that would mean I am special forces. So, uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm as far away from former Special Forces as you yes. can get. There we go. Um, any notes for the episode that you wanted to call out, John? It's just really Rios on La Serena with mm, um, sorry, yeah, completely forgot Teresa and yeah. her, her child, Ricardo. Yeah. Um, you know, he's really showing them all the, uh, you know, uh, 25th century tech here. Mm. Um, and Like, a lot of the First Contact stuff is being um, just kind of ignored now we we have them there and even picard you know where he tells agent wells his truth about who he is and that he needs his help so um this is another part of it here but and rios really on la serena trying to deborgify uh la serena Mm -hmm. realizing that the transporters have been uh locked by jurati slash the board queen um but all ultimately rios has a romantic moment with teresa um, yeah so something that she can remember him by because she knows that he won't be around for the rest of her life effectively. yeah i mean it, it was nice again i just again i'm not entirely sure as to the the need for this. At least I got the kiss. At least it's there. You know, you can't, there's always romantic stuff that goes on in Star Trek. I, I get it. But it felt, as I mentioned earlier on, it felt like another put a character in, in a room with another couple of characters um, so that we can film it during COVID <laughs> rather than an actual really important storyline. I'm not too sure whether that's the creepiest romantic moment well, I've exactly. ever seen. Like the extent of detail that she goes through, it's like she's putting over a telenovela on top of uh, on top of their possible future. She has their whole history written that they're a bored couple who've been living <laughs> yeah. together for 10 years. She's thinking of sleeping around on them with her colleague from yeah. work. And what would you tell me to save our relationship? I'd be kind of going, I don't know whether we'd have a relationship if you think in 10 years we're going to be breaking up. I thought it was a nice little <laughs> sort of left field way of bringing that out, to be honest. Yeah. I, but, I mean, I just don't know whether it's ultimately meaningful i mean i think with teresa and her and ricardo mm-hmm. you know their moment in the clinic made sense and um, when rios was taken in there to, yeah, to be absolutely. to be fixed I, i'm not entirely sure and, and it, it's absolutely no disrespect to the actress and, yeah. and the actor uh playing the kid and I'm not too sure they needed to persist down this. I think he could have just had this crush knowing that nothing would happen and not acting on it because there's an, there's way too much other stuff going yeah. on. I guess it's a romantic size. You know, Rios is the dishy one and, yeah. and so on. Uh, there's, you know, or, or connecting it more into um, Jurassic. I think that's really where we should be seeing the focus of Rios is because he used to date Jurati. Yeah. And we got that for one small moment mm. uh, where he's trying to remind Rafi that it's not just the Borg Queen. There is Jurati still inside her. And yeah. um, so, again, I'm not entirely sure it's necessary. I don't have any particular complaints with the scenes, yeah. but it's just not that 
critical for me. Yeah. The, the only reason I'm seeing that it's necessary, the only reason I'm thinking that it's necessary, and I've already mentioned this, don't repeat it again, but the fact that we know this is season three, it has been filmed, um, makes me think we're going to get a big cliffhanger at the end of season two. And I think that cliffhanger is that Rios has to stay behind or all of the crew of La Serena, other than Picard, have to stay behind in this time. And this kind of sets him up to have a familial relationship, an actual yeah, maybe. family there that he wouldn't be unhappy leaving. Um, I just thought it was really interesting having Teresa turn red to him and go, uh, since I'm never going to see you again, can I get a bit more information from my memory banks of who you were kind of thing? Yeah. It, just seemed, it just seemed like a really odd um, question from her. Yeah. But, but yeah, good to, good to mention it. I forgot to mention it earlier on. The only other note I had was about Alison Pill's voice as the Borg Queen. I was wondering whether that's merged with um, Anna Wershing, who's been playing the Borg Queen throughout the season. There seemed like an extra power to Alison Pill's voice when she was saying those lines to Sung, uh, you know, like, I'm not here for your 90% proof blood. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a great line. Um, but there seemed to be an extra bit of power behind it that seemed like they were merging I the so, two yeah. voices. I, I hope they were doing that. Alison Pill's a great actress, but wouldn't it be cool if they had those two voices merging? Yeah, well, it makes sense. And I, I think you're right. There were, there's a certain edge um, to Jurati's voice mm. when that was dominant. So I, I, I felt that was the case, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we do get the call out of the um, probably one of the biggest Borg lines from the Borg Queen. Who's ready to add their unique distinctiveness to our little collective? Yes, um, yes our little group uh, today. Just a, a nice little call out at the end of the episode. Yeah, excellent stuff. So, Derek, what did you think of Star Trek Picard Episode 8, Mercy? I think compared to last week's episode, it's a huge step up, but... You've mentioned it already, the FBI storyline. It felt like it was just dragging away from our main storyline when we only have 10 episodes to tell this story. Um, it felt like that whole piece could have happened in the bar. Um, we could have had Q arrive, give the information to Guinan, um, have that little adventure or that little moment effectively between Guinan and Picard where they uh, learn the truth that could have all happened in the bar without having to be diverted off to, uh, to the FBI. I also found it weird that he... He had connected it all back to Rios because of the communicator and they got the communicator back that way. Remember in last week's episode when they were taken in, Picard's communicator fell to the floor. So surely he just finds that communicator rather than getting this really complicated uh, way to connect this whole storyline together. So if we're not seeing Wells back in the future, this seems like a really um, complicated storyline for no payoff at all. Uh, so overall, episode is probably a middling episode but but because it's coming on the back of a really bad episode last week it feels better how about yourself john do you know i i liked an awful lot of elements here yeah. in fact probably all of them uh but i'd give it uh three and a half burgerfications out of five mm -hmm. uh, and it's mainly because i just feel that the structure is is now messy and and how it connects with the series so far and what we've still to come um but actually i each individual piece I really liked. I loved Raffi and Seven going after um, Jurati and the Borg Queen. I loved that moment with Raffi, uh, um, you know, confessing to being a manipulator and that link to Elnor. Yes. Guinan and Q, absolutely fantastic. And John Delancey should have been in this series more, for mm -hmm. sure. It should have been so much good. more focused on that and Picard, I feel, than yeah. what it has been. Um I think the Wells storyline really nice, really good, and has implications for Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, 
I I love the the payoff with Soong. I just feel it's not meshing together, mm. and and it, it it it's so it's more the structure of this series yeah. and how they're building it. And um, the Rios thing, I think, is probably the most like unnecessary in yeah. some respects. Uh, you could argue Wells's, but it's an it's a good story. It has an impact yeah. for Star Trek, given his him meeting Vulcans mm-hmm. and ultimately um I think you know this was a good episode because of all those individual aspects that mm-hmm. were really well done felt actually really good yeah. um so I would give this three and a half borgifications out of five I mean I think last week I would have given it three prop you know mm-hmm. Or even two point five gracious out yes. of five, because um, it was just like oh, I can't believe they've gone off on a tangent. So then, at least this tangent actually, it was good. It had a meaning, mm-hmm. but it still, in a way, didn't have a meaning for or whether it was necessary, other than doing things that they could have done in different ways. Yeah. So yeah, for me, this episode was individually different pieces to it really really good yeah. i'd give it three and a half bugifications out of five excellent excellent before we head on to some feedback on last week and this week's episode um let's go over and get our pub quiz question for this week over to 10 forward yes fellow trekkies and quizzes welcome to the 10 forward pub quiz the pub quiz question mm. for episode eight mercy is before he meets the Vulcans, what is the name of young Agent Wells' lost puppy that he calls out for in the woods? Ooh, very good. Yes. That's an interesting one. He calls it quite a lot, so I uh, should be able to remember that one. Yes. Okay, or at least pick it up on a quick rewatch. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that is the eighth question in it's, our 10 forward pub quiz. It is. I'll just repeat it. Before he meets the Vulcans, what is the name of the young Agent Wells lost puppy that he calls out for in the woods? Excellent. Send in your answers to all of the 10 Forward Pub Quiz questions to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And we'll, when we do our wrap-up of the season, we will hand out some goodies to the fellow Trekkie who has the most answers correct in there. Yes, indeed. Thank you, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, for joining us. Um, definitely stay subscribed to the podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Mm-hmm. You can also support us monthly for any amount over on patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries. Or if you'd like to provide a one-off support, you can donate over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TV PI. And um, for this episode of TV Podcast Industries, it is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, and that includes Lawrence Kauser. Thank you so much, Lawrence, for the support. It is really appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you, Lawrence, and thanks everybody who supports us over on Patreon and in any way you can. Yeah. We'll be back next week with Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 9, the penultimate episode in this second series. And, of course, we will be back with the next question in our 10 Forward pub quiz Mm -hmm. and hopefully with lots of feedback from our fellow Trekkies. Absolutely. We are also covering Moon Knight on our main feed. Um, Moon Knight's been great. There's also two episodes left of that show. If you want to subscribe to the feed, as we mentioned, just go over to tvpodcastindustries.com and you'll get access to all of our shows uh, that we're covering. John, I know you've got to go. I will uh, go through the feedback of our fellow Trekkies and Trekkers from, uh, from this week. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, fellow Trekkies. Uh, It is a 
pleasure chatting with you all things because remember keep watching keep listening and keep trekking bye Ah, the pleasure of podcasting about two shows in a week uh, and trying to find availability with my co-host. But at least I have feedback from our fellow Trekkies to keep me company. Uh, first up, an email from Laura Redenbach says, Greetings and salutations. Quick comment on your analysis of the episode structure. You talk about the division of the episodes into five-act structure that you identify as the TNG structure for commercial breaks, feeling strange on a streaming show. At first, I was confused about why you were mentioning this at all. And then I realized you may not know that in the US, there are two levels of Paramount Plus subscriptions. The subscription without commercials costs extra. So where you are noticing act breaks for commercials, I have act breaks with commercials. They are much shorter than what you'd experience on American broadcast TV, maybe two 30-second ads, but they are there. Hope that solves a mystery for you. Live long and prosper. Laura Redenbach. Thank you so much, Laura. Yes, that really did solve it for me. I didn't even think that there was a possibility that the show had got those ad breaks for it. But um, I was also pointed out by Mike Malone. He says, um, Derek, you and Chris discussed the weirdness of the ad breaks during Picard episodes. I know Paramount Plus is an ad-supported level and and no ads tier on their platform, at least in the US. Wondering if that's the reason for the breaks. I noticed them in Discovery as well. Um, So... It's obviously to do with Paramount Plus. That's a, that is how the episodes are broken out. But it just, I, I don't know, it felt stronger, particularly in the last two episodes. Not as much in this one, but it felt like it was going to an ad break every five minutes. <laughs> so, which is something we don't get on uh, regular TV or regular streaming shows over here. We get it on Prime Video uh, in Europe and outside of the US. So, um, yeah, it just it just seemed quite different. But thanks so much, Mike and Laura, for uh, for pointing that out. That does solve a mystery for us. Uh, on episode seven over on Facebook, Richard Blaze says, you know what? I'm struggling with this show this time around. I've fallen asleep during the last few episodes. Only thing that saved it this week was Baltar showing up. I'm a huge fan of the original Battlestar Galactica, the remake and all things that came afterwards. So say we all really finding it a bit of a plod and some of the beats like traveling back in time some of the crews stick to the mission others go rogue find love and question if they should return a bit too formulaic even the nods to tng seem a bit forced and out of place at times i'll stick with it but not finding it as special as series one was despite the last episode of the season being a bit of a joke i think i understand that richard um it's odd isn't it 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 feels like this time there's been so many extra ancillary stories tacked on to the main storyline and I, I i wonder if they could have waited for another year to film this and um, so they didn't have as many of the covid restrictions as they are being put on them but looking at the schedule of star trek shows on paramount plus it feels like they have to fit into their slot every i think it's something like there's a new star trek episode of one of their series every week for 52 weeks of the year now um, so it feels that they couldn't wait and i don't know whether that's caused more of an issue in the storytelling for this show um, than would have been there if they'd had to, if they'd waited for a few more months uh, to start filming again. But there have been great stuff this season. I've really enjoyed a lot of the things that have gone that have been going on. And I actually think the storyline this season, overall, I prefer it to season one. I think it's a better season because we know the characters better, and um, there are really interesting things that are coming out of it. But uh, I, I kind of understand what you mean there, Richard. I'm looking forward to the last two episodes. Then, thanks, Richard. Also on Facebook, Joe Herbers says, This season started off promising after an uneven, messy, disappointing first season, but the season-long storylines have ground to a halt, and the episodes aren't that interesting on their own. I agree with what you said in the podcast about there being interesting ideas, but that they aren't executed that well. 
I really hope it picks up for the last part of the season, but the FBI arrest makes me less optimistic. I'm hoping it turns out it's not actually the FBI, but something more cosmic, especially given the actor cast, who, as you noted, was in 12 Mon- Monkeys, etc. Again, Joe, yeah, you've heard our thoughts about this episode and about the FBI storyline. Again, a good storyline. It was interesting, the cadence of his voice throughout it. I was kind of expecting that he was a Q or something, that, that maybe that was the big twist on it, that Guinan's uh, call out to the Q had called someone completely different, another member of the continuum, and that it would be a much bigger storyline. Again, we liked the idea that he had had this childhood trauma that's solved by Picard. It's an interesting storyline, but it felt like it was just a diversion too far for an episode. But I think now that we're going into the end, we're in this moment where Picard and the crew of La Serena have to protect it from the Borg Queen. That feels like a big push towards the end of the season. So hopefully the next two episodes are even better again. And on our podcast for last week's episode, Parthenia Dupree-Locklear says, while I was listening to this episode, all I could think was great minds think alike. Yeah, I was looking at the ratings of uh, of each of the episodes over on IMDb and episode seven was the lowest rated of the season so far. Uh, back up this week, uh, thankfully, um, it's uh, just a dip uh, in one of the episodes, thankfully. On to episode eight, we got some feedback from Victor, who says, nice to see Rios actually spark up a stogie this episode. Interesting, yeah, we have a bit of a cigar watch uh, since episode one, as Rios has been walking around carrying a cigar, commenting on the fact that, that they have matchbooks in 2024. We see him light a match in this episode, but I, I watched it really carefully. And he kind of puts it out as he gets the call in from Seven. So, again, he's not smoking a cigar. It's not a big thing. It just It's just becoming more and more noticeable <laughs> that I, I guess they're trying to comply with the restriction on being able to smoke. So he's not having a cigarette or something like that. And he's constantly walking around with a cigar in his hand. But I guess like Will Smith in the 90s, not the current one, um, it's for the look. He don't light it, right? Is that the, that the way we're going to go for the rest of the season? <laughs> Thanks, Victor. Uh, Dr. Bob Phillips says, I always wondered what would happen if Mulder got old and edged retirement after the smoking man went and a new executive was put in with strict efficiency protocols. Seems like I wasn't the only one. Corey rescuing herself mostly was a good zag on the damsel trope, though I wonder how she'll manage to play into the future storyline. Ah, finally, the kiss arrived for Rios. Uh, yeah, Dr. Bob, yeah, it's, it is really good seeing Corey walk away, I suppose, from the situation. But you're right, I don't know how um, she'll play in, if at all, for the rest of the season. But it feels like she might come back or maybe team up with Q or something like that, because at least she has got that connection now with, with Q. Maybe that's the way they'll uh, they'll come back. But yeah, it definitely felt like um, the basement offices of the X-Files at some point uh, in, in this FBI side story this episode. Thanks, Dr. Bob. We also got a message in on Facebook from Heather Wallace about this episode. She says, the entire Rios subplot annoys me so much. The kid annoys me. The doctor's made up marriage scenario annoys me. And Rios being googly eyed annoys me. Also on my list of annoyances for this week is the entire Picard and Guinan detained by the FBI subplot. It had absolutely no bearing on events. It could have been edited out and not affected Seven and Raffi tracking the Queen. The only plot point it advanced was confirming Q is dying and that could have been achieved by Q being summoned to the bar. Casting that particular actor to be the driven by a past experience but never believed their superiors and then become an ally character made the entire arc so obvious. That's exactly what his character does in 12 Monkeys. Or maybe I just watched too much time travel sci-fi. Surely the Vulcans being there in his childhood contradict the events in the first Contact film, unless the Vulcans periodically checked in on Earth to see if it was advanced enough. Or are the Vulcans from the restored future timeline and have been sent back to complete the loop of Agent Wells? 
a nice nod to HG Wells there. Him being interested in aliens and therefore the one to help Picard at the right moment. Yes, it's official. I definitely watch too much time travel sci-fi. What I am impressed with this week, though, is Alison Pill. She is so good as the cold and ruthless queen. And also, I can't fault the queen's fashion sense. A ball gown and combat boots is totally my aesthetic. <laughs> she looked amazing, didn't she? The, 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 we mentioned before that scene of her walking down the street in the ball gown was one of the coolest setup scenes uh, that we'd seen in the season with that uh, that great cliffhanger as she walks out into into the streets to follow her new mission and yeah this these uh fight scenes with her in the bowl gown and the combat boots very cool very very cool on the vulcans i think it is that they're just checking in um periodically they looked like they were doing some kind of science experiment on earth um when wells came across them at, at that age it felt like this is something they do all the time. They, um, If they get discovered, they wipe the mind of the person who discovered them and then uh, get beamed off planet and it just looked like the beam off didn't work. But you'd think they'd go, ooh, better beam back down and wipe his mind again <laughs> if that was the case. So uh, we might find out more. I don't think we're going to see Wells back. I think this was just a an insert storyline for for the episode, unfortunately. I'm totally with you on, uh, on the events of that FBI uh, stuff that totally could have been uh, done at the bar. I think it would, ma- would have made more sense as well. Um, I know you don't like the Rios uh, subplot as well. <laughs> totally, uh, yeah, it, it feels completely out there. It feels like they're just trying to give the actor something to do. And I love the actor. Um, it would be great to see uh, a much bigger storyline for him uh, in this season. He's just been uh, kind of sidelined into this uh, this story. Um, but Santiago Cabrera has, is doing a great job as Rios. He's still cool. He's still got so much going on with him that I'd love to see him get a better story uh, in this season. Just unfortunate. Let's see how it plays out with the last two episodes coming. Thanks, Heather. Finally, we got an email in from Victor Von Doom who says, Greetings, Trekkies. I feel this episode is missing something, but I'm just not sure what. I don't understand the purpose of FBI agent Wells' intervention and backstory in this series. I'd rather see more of Q's situation. Where is Kid and Baby Mama? Has Q left the Continuum? Does the Continuum still exist? Is a Queen Jurati versus Corey confrontation in the offing? It seems Q still has some power as he hacked into Soong's network and could just stroll into a federal building as well as create a cure for Corey. I was hoping to see a Guinan versus Q battle, but the confrontation and discussion was very interesting and well done. John Delancey hasn't lost a step. Ito was also really good. More Seven and Raffi, please. They remind me of Starsky and Hutch. I do feel for the big red dude, his death is sure to spawn another urban legend. Did the Queen and Jurati steal his boots? Talk about the merd hitting the fan. She is about to lead a platoon of assimilated Rambo types against La Serena, eagerly awaiting next week's episode and TVPI podcast. Peace and love, Victor Von Doom. Thanks, Victor. I didn't even think that that's where Jurati could have gotten her boots. That's a great, uh, a great <laughs> call out there. Uh, and quite likely that she took uh, took the boots from the guy she murdered in the alleyway. But yeah, as John said earlier on, we would love to have seen more of John Delancey in this series. It, it feels like he's just acting his socks off uh, every time he's on screen. He's chewing up the scenery and you want more of him. You want more of that story. And it feels like that confrontation with Guinan, she has to work out why he's doing what he's doing rather than her telling him you know the continuum kick me out or there no longer is one or um or i'm dying and this is what i wanted to do it seems like she is the one that was pushing all of that so i'd love to see more of him i'd love to see more of the story i do remember yeah you mentioned about his kid and his baby mom i do remember there was a uh there was a storyline in, in tng where he 
and that was his new legacy, wasn't there? Um, so yeah, I wonder what's happened with that. Interesting stuff. Uh, two more episodes to go. Thank you all for your feedback for this episode. Please keep sending it in to us. Um, about any of the episodes this season or any of the shows that we cover, email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. And that's it. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And if you're enjoying what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Sharing the podcast is sharing the love. We'll talk to you again next time with either Moon Knight, which we're covering on TV Podcast Industries, or with this show Picard episode 9 the penultimate episode of season 2 speak to you again next time bye